research has shown that when you frame something in a positive way, make a positive request, it is so much more effective than making a criticism or a complaint. So if you can even start with very basic things, you know, maybe it's just telling your partner, like, I love the way you kiss me. I love how good it feels when you wrap your arms around me. Oh man, you're so good at giving me those back massages. You know, whatever compliments you can pay to your partner about the things that they're already doing right, that's just going to make the whole conversation feel safer and easier for them and start to stoke that curiosity for them of like, Oh, what else could I be doing right? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guests are Vanessa and Xander Marin. Vanessa is a licensed psychotherapist and has spent over 20 years as a sex therapist. She has bachelor's degrees in human sexuality and sociology from Brown University and a master's degree in counseling psychology. Xander is a regular dude who left a cushy career in tech once he realized it was more fun to talk about sex with his wife all day. He's here to show you that you don't need a graduate degree or a license to have extraordinary communication skills. Vanessa and Xander also host the highly popular Pillow Talks podcast where they share the ups and downs in their relationship while giving you step-by-step techniques for improving yours. In this episode, we discuss how to maintain emotional connection during your relationship, how to get the spark back if you're feeling disconnected from your partner, the relationship between physical and emotional intimacy, how to improve your sex life with your partner, why gratitude is so effective for rebuilding relationships, how to know if your relationship is stale, and so much more. While this episode covers some mature content, it's intended for educational purposes and to help you improve the relationship with yourself and or your partner. So with that said, let's get this conversation going and welcome Vanessa and Xander Marin to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Vanessa and Xander, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. I'm excited to have you guys on. And before we recorded, I was telling you, this is the first time I've actually, in more detail, I guess, covered the topic of sex. And I think it's an important topic to talk about because a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people have a hard time. It can make a relationship. Sometimes it can break a relationship. And I think before we get into the weeds on sex in itself, I think a good place for us to start is the topic of emotional connection. Because I think without emotional connection, all the other stuff, in my opinion, doesn't matter. And without emotional connection, that in itself destroys relationships. So based on all of your work and your experience as a couple, like what do you think it takes for somebody who's in a relationship to maintain emotional connection throughout the process of growing a relationship? I think it starts with the understanding that it is something that we actively have to work on. I think a lot of us, we have these fairy tale ideas in our heads of what relationships are supposed to look like. You meet the person, you feel that spark, you just know that's your person, it's the one, and you live happily ever after, right? Or like, <laughs> or or at worst, it's like we face a little adversity in the beginning and we have a couple challenges, like your typical rom-com plot, right? Like they have some speed bumps and then they figure it out and it's happily ever after from there. And I think a lot of us have this idea in our head where it's like, okay, once we're serious, once we're married, it should be smooth sailing and Mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to do anything else. 
So that's why we have one of the conversations, one of the big five that maybe people are going to be surprised. Like, wait, I thought I picked up a book about sex. Why is one of these conversations about emotional connection? That we really wanted to make sure we helped couples create that framework of connecting with each other, feeling closer to each other. Because, you know, I make the comparison in the book that sometimes sex can feel like boiling a pot of water. And if you're starting ice cold, like, we feel like strangers to each other. We're not really spending much quality time. We're kind of ships passing in the night. Getting from ice cold up to boiling for sex is going to take so much more effort. But if you keep that baseline level of emotional connection between the two of you, it feels like you're keeping the pot at a simmer. And so when you need to get it up to that full boil, it's a lot faster and easier. Yeah, it's so true. And I think it's challenging, right, to keep that emotional connection going and to keep that simmer going, if you will. I like how you talked about that in your book. And I think it's important to pay attention to that process and making sure that you're kind of feeding the relationship on a daily basis. But I would say that's probably not the case for most people. I would say people who are interested in reading your book and, and diving into this subject, their relationship maybe isn't where they want it to be. Maybe they've lost some sense of emotional connection. And from my experience, I know that when you lose emotional connection, that can lead to resentment, that can lead to just being completely closed off to your partner. What are some tools that you both have used in your own relationship when the emotional connection has been like at a low point to help refuel the fire, if you will, a little bit, so that way it can create some emotional buzz between you two once again? So I'll start with the most effective one, hands down, is gratitude. So we've all heard of gratitude. I think a lot of us kind of roll our eyes at it a little bit. It feels a little hippy-dippy. <laughs> but research has actually shown that gratitude is the number one predictor of marital success which is wild if you think the number one predictor. So I think one thing that happens in long-term relationships is that as time goes on, we start just feeling more and more annoyed by each other. It's easier to notice the things, the frustrating things that our partner does, the way that we're they're not listening to us, they're not the person we want them to be, they're doing those annoying little things every single day. It's just so much easier for our brain to focus on those. And we've had those periods of our relationship too where it oh, yeah. feels like, like I, I don't think like Xander is breathing too loud. Like why <laughs> is this so annoying? And so for us, one of the simplest but most effective things that we do is we come back to gratitude. And especially when we're in those places where it feels like we're just so annoyed by each other all the time, like making that conscious effort within yourself to notice what are the things about my partner that I appreciate? What are the little things that they did today to show me that they do care? What are the qualities about them that I still appreciate and admire? And so taking that time to identify those things and then call them out with each mm -hmm. other has been one of the best things for us to reconnect. And you can turn that into a ritual, which is, I think, another way to really supercharge intimacy is creating a connection ritual. So for example, that could be at the end of the day, right as we're getting into bed, you know, we cuddle, we kiss, and we say three things that we're grateful for. Or we say, you know, one thing that we appreciate about our partner, something like that. I think having those type of intimacy or connection rituals can be super valuable, especially if you roll the gratitude into that. That's something that Vanessa and I have done for a long time. And it's just, you just know, okay, at the end of the day, this is what we're going to do. And you're not sitting around like, oh, I, I wonder if my, I wonder, I wonder if they noticed that thing, or I wonder if they're going to appreciate me for this. It's just like, this is what we do at the end of the day. We say what we're appreciative of. Right. 
I think that's such a good idea. And obviously gratitude is something that's super important. And just having these daily rituals, like you said, can be very instrumental because I think those will add up over time. And I know one of the things that relates to emotional connection in a way is that a lot of people have this idea of a fairy tale relationship that if it's not like 100% on fire, that that means the relationship's kind of like dead, right? And you see this a lot with the honeymoon phase where people start dating, they're super happy, they're super excited, then all of a sudden that wears off and then they're stuck with, oh my gosh, like do I still like this person? Like why am I not as attracted to them? And where I'm going with this is I know one of the things that you guys talk about as far as how to build and rebuild emotional connection is like diving back into the memories of, of positive memories in the relationship. Like talk about why that's so effective and maybe give an example or two of how somebody can do that. So we give this tip actually in the first conversation of those five conversations, which is acknowledgement. We want to get couples comfortable talking about sex just as a general mm -hmm. topic. And so one of the big mistakes that a lot of people make when they start talking about sex is they immediately go to the things that are wrong. We never have sex anymore. You never initiate with me anymore. And it turns into this huge fight. And so instead, what we encourage couples to do is to share some of their favorite sexual memories with each other so that you get more comfortable with this topic. It doesn't feel like this big, scary thing to think about. And then just the general idea of reminiscing about good times inside and outside of the bedroom is super powerful in relationships because it, it is so easy for us to get sucked into those routines and ruts and it feels like we've lost the luster of the relationship. But to remind ourselves and each other of, hey, we're actually capable of some really great stuff. <laughs> like this, the connection that we have is really special. And I think it can feel inspiring to us if I want to get back to that place. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really, really like important to think about like positive memories and things that you have achieved as a couple when you're going through hard times. I think at any time in life, that can be very useful as looking at certain things that have been good and that you've achieved. Like starting to dive in now to the topic of sex and as it relates to emotional connection specifically, like a lot of people think that they can just have sex to create an emotional connection. You hear a lot about like makeup sex or you hear a lot about like, I don't know if I really like them until I've slept with them. What are your guys' thoughts on that? And does sex actually create emotional connection or is that out of myth? It does. So we like to say that there are two general types of people. Of course, we're all unique, special snowflakes. <laughs> we can't divide all of humanity into two buckets. But in general, there are two kinds of people. People who want to feel emotionally connected before they have sex and people who have sex as a way to create emotional connection. So it's kind of like, what do we like to come first, the physical intimacy or the emotional intimacy? And research has found, this was not super surprising, but research has found that in general, men tend to want that physical intimacy first and women tend to want to feel the emotional intimacy first. But it's not always the case. Actually, in our relationship, it's the reverse. Yeah. One of the reasons for that. Uh, though, just in terms of like th the reason why more men typically want to have sex in order to feel connection is because men are typically socialized to not be super vulnerable, to, to not share their feelings very often. But the reality is that men are just as capable of feeling the same emotions as women. We just learn that it's not safe or it's not a good idea to share those. And so sex is one of the few ways where we are socialized to be able to express emotions. And so very often, you know, for guys who are like, well, I just want to have sex because then I'll feel connected to you. The reality is you want to feel connected. You just don't know how to feel connected in any other way than to do that. 
But yeah, it's important to acknowledge. I think sometimes we can write off sex as just being this physical act that we do with our bodies, but there is a huge emotional component to it. You know, it can absolutely be a way to feel closer, to feel connected. So we want to we want to be able to see the like the entirety of the experience rather than just like, oh yeah, that's just something that we do with our bodies for pure physical pleasure. What's your opinion on like sex as it relates to creating emotional connection as pertains to like getting into a relationship with somebody because you'll hear a lot like you shouldn't sleep with somebody on the first date you shouldn't sleep with somebody for x amount of time because like you might get emotionally attached to them and if they're not the right person for you you could end up being in staying in some situationship or staying in something that you don't want to be in what are your thoughts on like timelines as it, as it relates to sex does it in fact ruin relationships what's your take on that I think this is something where everybody needs to get a sense. And unfortunately, the only way to do this is through trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) But we've got to learn about ourselves. Like, what is that relationship that I have with sex and emotional connection? There are lots of people who can separate those two things and have a purely physical experience. And it can still feel enjoyable and exciting and fun, but it doesn't create that sense of like, I want more. I want this to be a relationship. Or now I feel attached to you in a way that I didn't before. And of course, there are people who all of those things are true for. You know, you have sex with somebody and you realize, oh my gosh, holy crap. Now I'm, I feel much more invested in this. So the only way to really learn that about yourself is to have those kinds of experiences. So of course, I would go into dating kind of erring a little bit more on the cautious side. If I don't know this about myself yet, let me try to be a little bit careful and protect my heart a little bit. So you'd have to kind of weigh, do I feel ready to be intimate with this person? How would I feel if I got emotionally attached and they didn't? But a lot of that experience is just going to come from the trial and error. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think so many of us would prefer to latch on to a guideline or something like that. Like, oh, well, the answer is if you just wait three dates, then you're going to be in the clear. Or, I mean, another one that we get, which is a little not on this topic, but like, oh, how many times a week should I have sex with my partner in order for things to be good? Like, we just want the quantity that- A clear rule. Yeah, a a clear (laughs) rule. But yeah, like Vanessa said, the reality is we are all really different and, you know, we all respond differently to situations. I know for me, when I was in college, there was about one week where I dated two women at the same time. And it was like, it was very clearly obvious to me, like, wow, I am not wired to be able to handle this. <laughs> this isn't something that I want to do. It doesn't feel exciting to me. I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel it's a struggle to balance these things. So, you know, that's just something that's not going to be for me. And I think people have to do that the same way when it comes to, to sex and new relationships of, okay, yeah, like I, I did have sex with that person on the first date or on the second date. And I already started feeling some things. So maybe that's not a great idea for me to do next time. Or on the flip side, you're like, oh yeah, no, I was, you know, I've been having casual sex with this person. I'm not feeling any, you know, any emotions. I feel good with this, but we also have to recognize that the person on the other side might have different feelings about it. So we have to be able to, you know, respect each other's perspectives or each other's feelings on it and understand that, you know, what works for me may not work for the person that I'm doing it with. Yeah, I think it's so important to have like this individualized approach when it comes to things like relationships, sex, dating, and finding out what works for you. And another thing along these lines, like it's kind of the opposite, I think, is you'll hear some people say, I don't know if I can commit to dating this person without sleeping with them, because what if we don't have chemistry in the bedroom? Fact or fiction on that. Roses are red, violets are blue, 
Our friends at Manscaped and yours truly have a gift for you or for your partner. Manscaped is now selling beard products. That's right. The leaders in men's grooming are revolutionizing the men's hygiene game once again with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. As someone who likes to keep some facial hair but nothing too long, I really have enjoyed using the Beard Hedger from Manscaped because their cordless trimmer has 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so it allows me to consistently keep my facial hair at the length that I like. Plus, it's waterproof, so I can use it in the shower, and I don't have to worry about cleaning up my facial hair off of the sink or bathroom floor after using it. With this kit, it's never been easier to sculpt your precise look at any length, so make sure you're looking extra lovely this Valentine's Day by using the Beard Hedger. And even better, save 20% off in free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using code BOPST. That's B-O-P-S-T. You're going to love it, and everyone who sees your improved facial hair game will love it too. Let's face it, no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble and tame your mane this Valentine's Day. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOPST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code BOPST. Spice up V-Day this year with Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Now back to the show. I think that's very true. I mean, it's so funny. We don't know how to deal with sex so often, especially in those early stages. It's like, how do I give it this? How much priority? Too much? Too little? I don't know what to do with this. We kind of like toss the ball down the road a little bit. But yeah, I think that it's very valid to be curious about what is my connection going to be like with somebody. I do also want to say on the other hand, though, we try to tell people don't put too much of an emphasis on your first time or even your first few times sleeping with somebody. I mean, I think we talk in the book that like our first time was totally adequate. It was not like fireworks or like incredible, like this is my person, jaw dropping sex. But like, you know, that's normal. Sometimes we just need a little bit of time to get used to somebody to figure out how our bodies fit together and what we like to do together. But yeah, it is completely understandable to want to get a sense of what your sexual chemistry is going to be like with somebody before knowing this is someone that I really want to invest myself into. But I think at the same time, if you put all your eggs in the basket of like, I need to have sex with this person in order to know how it's going to be, to know that we have that sexual chemistry or connection. I think the challenge with that is that we assume that the sex should be really great without us really having to put much work or effort into it. And the reality is, is that there is a lot, there are a lot of things that you can do if you are having sex that maybe doesn't feel super great for you. Like there's a lot of things that you can work on. You can really improve sex that you're having. And so, you know, it's definitely a balance, but I think the expectation shouldn't be, oh, it has to be totally amazing because that puts a lot of pressure on the first time or first couple times you have sex that like, oh, this is, you know, like this is the bar that we have to surpass in order to get into a relationship. When it, in reality, if you talk about it, if you work on it, you can really make it amazing, I think. Right. And staying on this theme, it kind of, it seems to me that things like relationships, dating, sex, it's like, portrayed as being this crazy fairy tale, like something on a Hallmark movie, right? And in reality, it's it's just not, right? There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of growing pains and stuff. So like, I guess walk the audience through this best as you can. Like, How should your sex life, like, what should that actually look like? I mean, like, I know in the book you talk about, which the book is, by the way, is called Sex Talks, right? You talk about how it's not a fairy tale. So what does it actually look like? 
I think the main thing that comes up for us is with this idea of feeling like it should look like it does in the movies. We're all rational human beings. We, we understand the movies aren't real, but the problem is that our only sex education for the majority of us is just seeing scenes like this over and over and over again on movies, in TV, in porn, of sex looks spontaneous, it looks effortless, you just look at each other and it's on, you have orgasms at the exact same moment, everybody's wildly satisfied. So it's just impossible for us to see that repeated so many times and not internalize that that's what sex is supposed to look like. But the main differentiating factor in what it actually looks like in real life is that there is a lot more effort involved. There's effort with getting turned on. There's effort in initiating the sex. There's a lot more effort than it looks like the like little two-second clip that you get of the couple just like rolling around in the bed and then they're done and it's over. <laughs> like there's more effort in the act of sex itself to make sure that both partners are pleasured mm -hmm. and satisfied and able to have orgasms. So that's the most important thing for us is normalizing the effort that goes into it rather than just expecting it to all happen spontaneously. And then so why do you think that topics like this like, like sex and like what to do in the bedroom and how to create desire and everything that you guys talk about. Like, why do you think it's so challenging and, you know, I guess like weird at times for people to talk about? <laughs> we just have no examples of it. You never see those characters in a movie talk about what they're doing. You know, so it, it gives us, again, that idea from that sheer repetition, that idea of there shouldn't be any sort of communication involved. And if we have to talk about it, that means something is horribly wrong with us. So again, it's like that disconnect between rationally, someone might get like, okay, we're supposed to talk about this, but just that feeling that we have internally is like, oh God, if we have to talk about it, that's this bad thing. Well, and I think most of us, at least in the United States, most of us have this experience of the first time we really talk about sex, like we have the talk from one of our parents, it's horribly awkward. It's something I think that, you know, teenagers even know to look out for. It's not like a surprise. Like, you know, <laughs> we refer to that in movies and stuff. And it's like, oh God, the talk is coming. It's going to be horribly awkward. And then it is horribly awkward. We're <laughs> like, oh God, like, so your first experience is like, God, I don't want to talk about this, right? <laughs> and then you start dating people and fooling around and getting a little more experience. And I think most people also have the experience of, you know, one or both of you feels really awkward about talking about what it is that you're doing. And I think most of us also end up having some experience over time if we've dated a couple of people of a relationship maybe falling apart because there is a, a sexual disagreement or you talk about sex, you find out, oh, you're not, you know, one partner isn't pleased. You got in a fight about how something is going. And so what we end up taking away is just, it's dangerous to talk about sex. When we talk about sex, bad things happen. I feel awkward. My partner feels embarrassed. Maybe our relationship ends. And so of course you're gonna be like, okay, well, the next relationship I get into, my goal is to not talk about it and everything is going to be perfect. But yeah, the reality is that we got to talk about this stuff because it's such an important part of, of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And so diving into your guys' story a little bit more, talk about a time maybe recently in the last year or two where you know, there's been a communication breakdown and you guys became like sexually unattracted to each other. Like what was that time like? And then how did you guys rebuild attraction to kind of come back together? 
So something like that hasn't happened to us in recent times, but it definitely was something that we struggled with at the beginning oh, yeah. of our relationship. And we tell the story in the book of, you know, those early years together. We started off, we had that, you know, that great chemistry. It really mm -hmm. increased after the serviceable first time. <laughs> we were, Thanks. Yeah. It's not just you. It was, no, it was me know. too. I went into that experience feeling a lot of anxiety and nervousness. So, you know, we started to have this amazing chemistry. It really felt like, okay, this is my person. This is the fairy tale come true. And then we went through a tough patch that is completely like boring and understandable that every couple's been through. Like nothing spectacular happened. There was no horrible story. We just got busy. Life got busy. We were both working long hours. I was in grad school. We were spending less time together. When we were spending time together, we were just doing boring stuff like watching Netflix. So again, nothing spectacular, but just that feeling started to happen of like slowly, slowly drifting apart. And the less connection that we had, both you know, emotional intimacy and the physical intimacy, the more that, yeah, that disconnection continued to grow and grow. Yeah, and I will admit, I will freely admit, I did not want to talk about it. Like, I knew that we were not having very much sex anymore. I knew that Vanessa wished that we were having more sex. And what I also knew was, well, I'm the man, I'm the guy, I'm supposed to be in charge when it comes to sex. I'm supposed to want it all the time but I'm not wanting it all the time. I'm super busy, I'm super stressed. And it was just this like, well, what am I supposed to do? And so instead of talking about it, instead of reflecting inward and being like, huh, what's going on with me? What's getting in the way of me maybe wanting sex more? I just started kind of pushing away from Vanessa. And so it would be like, oh, you know, if she's starting to touch me, you know, maybe, Maybe like I kind of push away from that because, you know, that touch, it might lead to kissing and that might lead to sex. And I'm not really feeling like ready to ready to try that right now. And so, yeah, it was just tough. Like we were missing a lot of opportunities to connect because, you know, we didn't really want to address the elephant in the room because it's a scary elephant. Like, you know, it for me, it had to, you know, ultimately, you know, I realized I had to look at all kinds of things in my life, like my relationship with work, my relationship with my own health, with exercise and all the, you know, all these things that were really impacting me. And I think I knew that to a certain extent, but I was scared to actually look at all those things and scared to actually do anything about it. And so it felt easier to just kind of be like, okay, yeah, let's just act a little bit more like roommates so we don't have to deal with this stuff. So the solution for us was going to therapy and I had to really drag him. He did not want to no. go. <laughs> I don't think it got as far as having to give him an ultimatum, but it was you know getting pretty close to that. And even then though, we were really kind of struck in therapy that, you know, we're going to therapy, we're seeing this couple's therapist, and she gave us like a few interesting ideas and tools, but even she was kind of struggling a little bit to give us resources for how we talk about it. And I remember having this incredible imposter syndrome at the time, because I'm like, I'm studying to be a sex therapist, and I can't figure this out in my own relationship. And like, what is therapy that like not even, our therapy is like not helping us. So we kind of managed to like muck our way through it enough. 
and start trying like enough things that we got like that little tiny bit of momentum going. But, you know, those early experiences have served as huge motivators for us in creating this business and, and writing this book of, of realizing like there's just not enough out there for couples, you know, who find themselves in these very understandable, very common places. So, so yeah, it has been a huge motivator for us. Thanks for sharing that. And I imagine it had to have been kind of challenging given that you were studying to become a therapist and then you're trying to now drag your mm-hmm. <laughs> husband you know, into that world and go to couples therapy. And I want to talk about this because this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with in that not just sex, but their relationships are essentially just on autopilot and they're just going through the motions. They're busy with work. They're busy with kids. They're busy with their kids' social activities and so on and so forth. And that probably comes to a point where they're looking at each other like, you want to have sex tonight? And the person's like, eh, they're like, all right, I'll go to bed. Mm -hmm. And then that that pattern (laughs) repeats. How can somebody, I'm big on like self-awareness. So how can somebody like know that their relationship or their sex life is kind of stagnant or stale, like we kind of just talked about? And then what are a few initial steps a couple can take, or if somebody's listening to this and they want to talk to their partner about this, to be able to, you know, get to a place where they're, you know, having a somewhat normal sex life again? It's interesting because I think we know. We know when our sex life gets into a tough place. Like, So it really comes down to just being willing to be honest with ourselves, you know? Like, and so to ask yourself, do I feel excited by this? Do I get pleasure and enjoyment and satisfaction out of this? Or is this something that has drifted all the way to the bottom of my to-do list? But I think most of us, we have that it's like, it's almost a gut visceral feeling. Like, you know what it feels like when your sex life is just in a tough place and it feels like such a taboo and challenging topic that you don't want to touch. Okay, here, can I offer one suggestion for another way that you might know? And this is hard. It's hard to be aware of this in the moment, but I know this was very much true for me is that if you're like, okay, yeah, we're not having very much sex, but it's because of blah, blah, blah. And you start blaming Mm. it on a bunch of external things. If you have like three reasons ready to go as to why you're not having very much sex and they have nothing to do with you, that's a pretty good sign that you're, (laughs) that you're in that place. How about that? That's a good one. So our starting point, like I was mentioning earlier in the book is just getting comfortable talking about sex. So, so many couples, you know, they get to that place where they realize, okay, things need to change. This sucks. I don't want it to be like this. And they jump immediately into that problem-solving mode. And that can feel very overwhelming and scary for both of you, especially for your partner. If you're kind of approaching them like, okay, we got to fix our sex life. There's so much stuff that's wrong with it. Your partner's like, oh, you know? So we just want to get comfortable with the topic. Like we share in that first chapter, we want couples to feel as comfortable talking about sex as they do talking about what we're going to have for dinner tonight. So it's just a normal topic of conversation. So start with that, the reminiscing about positive memory. So you're not giving any feedback. You're not trying to solve any problems. You're not saying anything is good or bad. You're just literally Mm -hmm. like, hey, do you remember that time we went on that trip and da, da, da. And then you just get comfortable with like, okay, this is something that Mm -hmm. we can talk about. Another tip that a lot of people have told us has been really effective is just following us on Instagram, having both partners follow and watching our stories every day. And so people will tell us, you know, even when you're talking about something that doesn't really relate to us, we still get to talk about it. Like, oh, hey, did you see Xander and Vanessa? 
Vanessa, they were talking about initiating sex and like, oh, there were some interesting ideas. And what did you think about that? I don't know if I agreed with what they said about this. The cool thing is that that depersonalizes it. Mm -hmm. So it's, you don't have to be like, okay, we're going to talk about us now. It's like, oh, what did these two random people talk about today? (laughs) Or like, we often will share stories that people send in to us and give advice to people. So that extra depersonalizes it. Like, oh, let's talk about these other people (laughs) that are having this struggle. I think that can be a really great way to wade into the topic and have it feel pretty low stakes. For sure. And with that said, do you think that like your sex life is a good metric as far as how successful your relationship actually is? Like I've heard people say like, you know, if your relationship's actually healthy, your sex life will be good. Is it, do you see you know, validity in that? Yeah, I I think of emotional and physical intimacy as being these two twin flames. Like I was saying earlier about sex, a lot of us tend to think of it as it's just this physical act and we kind of compartmentalize it like, oh, that's just this thing that we do in our bedroom. (laughs) But the emotional and physical intimacy are so entwined with each other. So if your relationship is, you know, if you're feeling in a good place, if you're Mm -hmm. feeling connected, like you're going to see that reflected in your sex life and vice versa. Like they really, it just kind of flows in between each other. I think the key though, is that it is what is a good sex life to you. Because what Mm -hmm. we see is that there isn't an objective number like, okay, you do it X number of times and And it's going to be good. Like, you know, we hear from couples that have sex a couple times a year and are super happy with that. And we hear from people that have sex twice a day and feel unsatisfied with that. So it's not like, okay, if you just do this much, you're going to be good. But it's like, you know, are you genuinely happy with the amount and the quality of the sex that you're having and is your partner. And if you are both really satisfied with that, I think that that's, you know, a huge predictor of relationship success. But if one or both of you isn't happy with where things are or is, you know, feeling like they want more of something, they want less of something, then, you know, that's definitely something that would be really great to try to address. Right. And so I imagine like you have like these five different talks in the book. It's acknowledgement, connection, desire, pleasure, and exploration. And I would guess that one and two are probably the most, like acknowledgement and connection are probably like the most important because without those two things and staying on top of those, like the other ones aren't going to matter as much because it'll end up fizzling out long-term. And we've talked about acknowledgement. We spent a little bit of time talking about emotional connection and the importance of it. Let's dive into like initiating and not just how can somebody initiate sex? Like how can they begin to understand like what it is that they like as far as their sex life? Because I think that's an, an important component of your book as well. Yeah. So with understanding what it is that you like about your sex life, We have all this data in front of us. We've had all these experiences, but a lot of us just don't ever take the time to evaluate it, you know, and because it feels like such a big question. I mean, if I were to ask you right now, like, what do you like during sex or what do you want about sex? Like, maybe there'd be a couple of answers that would come to mind, but it just feels like such a big question. It's hard to answer, right? So I think it's important for us to kind of comb back through those experiences and shrink the question down a little bit. So we tell people like, you know, just tell us something that you have enjoyed. It doesn't need to be like the most explosive, incredible thing, but like, what's something that you enjoyed? So it could be literally as simple as, I like making out. Making out's fun for me. Okay, great. That's a piece of information that you know about yourself. So kind of combing through those experiences and trying to think back through like, yeah, what were things that I did enjoy and what were things that maybe just didn't feel as pleasurable or enjoyable to me? And then like taking that 
like one step further and once you like understand like what it is that you enjoy and that you like as far as like initiating sex like what have been some of your best practices as a couple throughout the years both between you Vanessa and Xander from like a female and male perspective on like initiating sex so the most important thing about initiating sex is that it should feel like an invitation, like an exciting invitation. And I think far too often in long-term relationships, and we are very guilty of this <laughs> ourselves, like the longer you've been together, the more vulnerable it starts to feel to initiate sex somehow. And you just start to feel like kind of awkward. And that's why, just like you were saying earlier, for a lot of us, initiation looks like it's been a while, like sh I guess we should do it tonight, right? But if you think about that, like, Who's ever going to feel excited by that? Like, oh, yeah, babe, it has been a while. We should, you know, like it's just not an exciting thing. You it's just, like it's like you cook your partner dinner and you're like, here's um, this kind of like sad looking chicken. It's probably not very good, but hope you like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we want it instead to feel like something that your partner's actually going to be excited to say yes to. And that takes a whole lot more vulnerability than do you want to do it? <laughs> or like just groping at your partner. But long-term, you know, relationship success, it's going to be so much better when you actually make that effort. So our favorite practical tip here is, again, like kind of combing back through that well of experience that you have. So for you to think about what were maybe two or three times that I can remember my partner initiating that I really liked the way that they initiated. Like so, I felt really excited. Yeah. And we do have in the book, we go through, I came up with a model of six different initiation styles of people's, you know, our favorite ways that we like to be initiated. There's also a whole bunch of like menus and options for choosing, like understanding what you like about sex too. So we give a lot of, of frameworks for that kind of stuff in the book. But if you can identify like, you know what? I really like it when my partner like is very slow and sensual with the initiating. Maybe they like start giving me, they come up and like give me a massage and they're kissing really gently along the back of my neck. But you want to like share that information with each other so that your partner understands like, oh, this is what genuinely excites my partner. Yeah. So like if Vanessa had shared that with me and I'm, tr and I'm like, okay, God, whenever I initiate sex, it doesn't really go very well. And let's say, you know, we're talking about, she tells me that, like, I like, you know, that kind of like slow and gentle thing. Then instead of me saying, hey, want to have sex, I might try to initiate some more sensual touch, like hey, could I give you a massage? Could we cuddle for a couple minutes and see where it goes? So instead of asking this kind of black and white question of like, want to have sex, <laughs> it's like, are you open to some physical intimacy? Something like that. So I think that is just understanding that, oh, the way that my partner gets turned on or the way that my partner likes to be initiated with is very likely going to be very different from the way that I like someone to initiate with me. And that doesn't mean that we're incompatible. It just means that I need to create a habit of initiating in a way that is going that my partner is going to respond well to. I think this is a good time to dive a little bit more into communication because what you're saying I think is so true. But reality is, I think sometimes in relationships in general, when you're having problems in a relationship or maybe you're not satisfied or you want to take it to the next level, the other person might not be as excited to dive into this new world as you are. What are some ways that you think 
you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're looking to take some of this information that they're learning from this podcast, or perhaps they've going to follow you on Instagram or read your book, and they're like, all right, I'm excited to chat with my partner. How can they communicate what they want effectively while also like managing their expectations in a way that they're not, it's not going to be like their partners are going to be all of a sudden like super excited to go on this path with them right away. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to normalize that you're two different people in a relationship and we're often on different timelines, you know? So when we were having that really difficult period in our relationship, I wanted to work on it way earlier than Xander did. And yeah. that was incredibly painful to me to feel like, you know, I'm working up this vulnerability to ask him to go to therapy. I'm willing to work on it. I feel invested in this relationship and I'm getting a brick wall from him, you know, and that was incredibly hurtful and challenging. And Again, we're two different humans. Mm -hmm. We're on two different timelines. And, you know, sometimes you might be going into wanting to have this conversation with your partner and you've been preparing for it for months. You've been reading the book and you're following on Instagram and you're thinking about how you're going to say it. So you're already, you know, a kind of a light year ahead of your partner who is just starting in that moment of you saying, hey, can I talk to you about something? So we have to give ourselves a little you know, and our partner a little bit of grace and recognize that those timelines might be different. But if you have this sense that, you know, yeah, my partner hasn't shown a big interest in this before, I tend to be the person who's, you know, taking the lead in, in relationship development, I would definitely recommend easing into it and going slow, like in the way that we lay out in the book, like really leaning into those acknowledgement and those emotional intimacy conversations. So don't leap right into, hey, let me give you some feedback about what I want you to change up in bed. And then when we start talking about specific technique or desires, we have what we call positively pleasurable feedback. And we talk about like research has shown <laughs> that when you frame something in a positive way, make a positive request, it is so much more effective than making a criticism or a complaint. So if you can even start with very basic things, you know, maybe it's just telling your partner, like, I love the way you kiss me. I love how good it feels when you wrap your arms around me. Oh, man, you're so good at giving me those back massages. You know, whatever compliments you can pay to your partner about the things that they're already doing right that's just going to make the whole conversation feel safer and easier for them and start to stoke that curiosity for them of like, oh, what else could I be doing right? Yeah. And I think one more thing to add, you know, if you're starting to share anything about like how you would like to work on things is trying as much as possible. I know it's not always possible, but trying to use more I language rather than like, I need you to do this or like, or even like, I need us to do this. Because I think very often if you hear, I need us to do this, the other partner hears, well, you're, what you're really telling me is that you want me to do something. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that if the other partner isn't really on board or enrolled in the idea of working on your relationship or working on your sex life, the last thing that you want them to hear is just a barrage of requests of like thing, ways that they need to change. And so I think trying to frame it more from the perspective of here's how I'm feeling, here's how I would like to feel, here's how I would love for our relationship to look so that it's kind of like enrolling your partner as a teammate, as this is something that we can do together rather than like, okay, I've done all this research, I've read this book, and now here's what I need from you. I think that's kind of a one-way ticket to the brick wall coming up. <laughs> so yeah, trying to get your partner on board as a teammate is, is probably the best call. 
Yeah. And it's like, I think in the book, you talk about having this we approach, right? And it's like, not just you versus them or I, like it's we, it's a team. And I guess this kind of kind of um, like segue into something else I wanted to talk about is, you know, I love talking about like personal responsibility and accountability and focusing on what you can control on the podcast. And in situations like you just described where you're coming to your partner and you have all these new ideas and maybe they're not as into it, the only thing you can really do is focus on yourself. And maybe like where I want to go with this is how do you become like more desirable, more attractive to your partner, because I'm sure that there's certain things across the board, I would say that most people are turned off by like somebody who doesn't shower, somebody who, you know, they're leaving stuff all over the place. I mean, I'm just making up examples. (laughs) (laughs) So with all that said, like, what are a few things that somebody can do to make themselves more desirable to their partner? Yeah, I think you're spot on there. This idea of we can only be responsible for ourselves and our own actions. And of course, it would be delightful in relationships if I could say like, Xander, I want to work on this. And then immediately he's (laughs) on board with it. But sometimes it really does take that courage of one partner being willing to go first. And when your partner sees you putting all this effort in, I'm working on myself, I'm working on my confidence, I'm working on the way that I initiate with you, I'm working on the gratitude that I show to you every day, I'm working on how I focus on your pleasure and making sure you're having a good experience. Like very often that's going to feel inspiring to your partner. You know, if you're willing to take the lead and go first, like your partner will often kick into gear and like, okay, I want to get invested in this too. And the great thing about sex is that there is so much that you can work on, you know, your own relationship with sex. So the whole first part of the book is all about understanding yourself better, like understanding what your needs are, your desires, how you get turned on, what your boundaries are. So there's so much to explore on your own. And then, you know, hopefully your partner can see you starting to work on that stuff and feel inspired to start their own journey. Yeah, I think just piggybacking on that, it's showing your partner that you can be a great partner in terms of like, you can listen to what it is that they like to feel connected. What do they mm-hmm. like? You know, what turns them on and and show by, you know, lead by example, like, oh, okay, I'm listening to you. I can hear that you like this in a different way than I do. And so I'm going to show you that I'm putting an effort to start initiating sex in that way or start, you know, giving you love in a way that you receive it better. Just, yeah, trying to be that good example of like, you know, I, I can hear you, I can show up for you in the best way possible and, you know, in hopes that your partner can show up for you. Because after all, I think that's what we're looking for in a partnership is, you know, two people that show up for each other, even when it's hard. Right. And then, so I guess like going to the other side of the conversation, like we're talking about like what you can do to work on yourself and take initiative to make yourself more desirable to your partner. I guess in both of your experience, Vanessa, both as, you know, as you being a sex therapist and then Xander, as you like being involved in the business, like are there some things across the board that you've heard through the years that are just blatant turnoffs for people that if somebody's listening to this, like, all right, like I've heard what I can do to work on myself. Like maybe there's a thing or two that I'm doing that I'm not maybe aware of that are like, that's destroying how desirable I am to my partner. One of the big ones is definitely how you guys share household responsibilities. So this is one that really surprises people, but there has been some fascinating research showing that couples who have what feels like to them a balanced and fair split of household responsibilities have way more sex. So that's definitely something to take a look at is, you know, do I feel like, and again, every relationship looks different. It's We're not talking about like an exact 50-50 split of all the chores, but if it feels like you both 
both are contributing to your household, your family, you know, to your relationship, that's a huge one. So, and that's a big one that comes up for men too, because, you know, in most male female relationships, the woman does do the majority of the housework. So, you know, you always see those jokes about like porn for women is just men vacuuming, <laughs> but it, it actually is true to some extent. Like women want to feel like we have an equal in our relationship. We don't want to feel like I'm taking care of my partner the way I take care of my child. So that's a huge thing that contributes to women's attraction toward their male partners. And then I think I also should call out for all the straight men out there, I think it is important to understand that when it comes to pleasure and sex, for the vast majority of women, penetration is not going to be the most pleasurable thing. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, what we see in movies, TV, porn is like penetration is the be all end all. That's the goal is that she orgasms from that. And the vast majority of women, intercourse, penetration is not their preferred sexual act. It's not the thing that gives them the most pleasure. So I think that a huge turnoff is if you are inflexible with how you want sex to go, with how you think your partner should experience pleasure. Mm -hmm. And we hear from so many from so many men and women who say that it, my partner is expecting that I orgasm from penetration alone, or they're not willing to use their hands on me. They're not willing to use their mouths. And yeah, I mean, I think that if you just take a little time to figure out what is the most pleasurable thing for your partner, how can I incorporate that more into our sex life? Like that is going to pay dividends for you <laughs> for years to come. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good point. I think it go, kind of goes back to being able to be vulnerable and open and honest with your partner about what you want. And then staying on that theme, I'm sure it's got to be challenging. I mean, I'm not married. I'm a 35-year-old bachelor. But I would imagine if somebody's been married for some time, and let's just say they're talking to their partner about their sex life and how unhappy they are. And let's just say they're doing all the things. They're creating you know, desire. They're working on themselves. They're not doing certain things and their partner still after some time hasn't come around. I think at this point, this is where like you can be at risk for infidelity. You can be at risk for doing other things. What's your advice to somebody who's like in a spot like that where their partner isn't coming around? Like how can they, you know, maintain some sense of equanimity, but also like try to work towards getting their emotional needs met? It's such a tough situation. I mean, you know, the advice would definitely be like, do everything you can to keep your side of the street clean. Yeah. You know, go do all the self-improvement, go to therapy, like do all that work on yourself. But at a certain point, you know, part of honoring and respecting yourself does need to be standing up for what you deserve. And, you know, it might not happen on the timeline that you wanted to. It might take your partner so much longer to come around than you really want them to. But you need to be willing to continue advocating for yourself. So it should be something that you continue sharing with your partner. Like, hey, I'm really wanting this to change in our relationship. I'm starting the work. I'm going ahead without you. And I hope that you can get to a place where you're ready to join me. But, you know, it very well could come to it being the end of the relationship. If you've done everything you can and your partner's just still not willing to engage with you, at the very least, you would hope that you could get something from your partner of like, I love you and I care about you. I want us to work on this. 
I've got X, Y, Z on my plate right now and I just can't, but like I want to, you know, you've got to get at least something like that. But yeah, there may be a point for some people, unfortunately, where it comes down to needing to walk away to take care of yourself. I think it's so important though, what you said about sharing very often, like how you're feeling and Mm -hmm. what you're needing, because I think the mistake that a lot of people make or the misstep that a lot of people have is they don't share until it's built up and built up and built up. And then it boils over and it's this big, huge fight big, huge, messy breakup or divorce or whatever. And for the other partner, it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. If you haven't heard before that your partner is, you know, like kind of at their wits end and really needing all these things from you. And so I think it's so important, like Vanessa said, to be, you know, kind of sharing your needs early and often. And when it's really feeling like those needs aren't being met, continuing to share that and saying, this is getting really challenging for me. Like I, in order for you know me to be really happy long-term, I do need these things so that it's not a surprise for your mm-hmm. partner, you know, if, and when you get to that point. And so, you know, in an ideal situation, like when it is time to walk away, it's clear to both partners that, you know, or like both partners are making that decision together. It's not like, Hey, okay, finally, I got the courage to tell you that, I've never had an orgasm and I'm leaving you. <laughs> it's like both of us know, okay, yeah, I'm not willing to work on that. She's not happy. Okay, I guess this is it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you got to be able to honor yourself, honor your needs and know, like you both kind of said, like keep your side of the street clean, know that you've done everything you can so that when it gets to that point, you can know that you've kind of checked all those boxes and being able to walk away when you need to. And then on the other side of that, let's just say somebody's listening to this or you have somebody who is that person who maybe has all this resentment built up towards their partner and they are like completely shut down. And you see this a lot where when somebody is emotionally shut down, they want nothing to do with their partner. They're just kind of like roommates at this point in some ways. How can somebody, if they're listening to this and they're just filled with resentment, is there a chance for them to be able to get back to the place where they're you know, sexually attracted to their partner again? Yeah, I mean, resentment is something that we can work through. And it, you know, it does take a lot of open communication. We're always going to put in plugs for therapy for sure. But it is something, you know, that you can come back from if especially if both partners are willing to take a look at it and start communicating about it. Yeah. And then I would think that that's something that is going to be helpful in that is something like flirting and creating like some sense of desire throughout the day. Like once you get to that point where you have that communication, you're ready to work on things. What are some like ways that often are overlooked when it comes to flirting and, and creating some, you know, emotional and sexual connection throughout the day that the couples can do? A big one is touch throughout the day. So for a lot of couples in long-term relationships, we really stop touching each other that much and touch becomes something that we only do around sex. We actually talk about the bristle reaction in the book, which is where your partner just comes in for an innocent, you know, trying to give you a hug or a little squeeze on the shoulder and you feel yourself bristling because you just don't want them to think it's going to lead to anywhere. So being able to incorporate more non-sexual touch throughout the day where you're just, you know, you're reaching out for each other, you're having that physical contact, that's such a great way to keep that sexual connection and the like the tension alive between the two of you. And I'll give a really, a really small one, a very small but powerful one, which is just simply greeting each other with 100% of your attention, like when you come home, or even when you and your partner see each other in the same room, like you're at home, but you've been in separate rooms, you come back together is like, put your phone down. And like, look at them and really genuinely be like, hey, 
good to see you. Like, I think that that can go such a long ways because especially these days with technology, it's like, how often is it that it's like you come home, your partner's sitting on the couch or looking at their phone, scrolling through Instagram or whatever, and you get this kind of at best, like half-hearted, okay. hello, that, that doesn't <laughs> feel very good. So it's just these tiny things of like, you know, look them in the eye, say hi, say that you miss them, give them a hug, give them a kiss. I think that goes such a long way. Yeah, I mean, it, I think touch is so underrated when it comes to like building desire and just having these small wins in the relationship, you know, throughout the day. And the next thing I want to get into is like talking about communication as far as like what if somebody's like trying to explore something and what they want in their sex life and their partner maybe isn't into it, isn't familiar with it, like maybe it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just not for me. And like, how can a couple like walk through that together? so that like each person's emotional needs can get met throughout the process. So in the book we give like a framework for trying out new things in the bedroom. You know, a lot of us, a lot of times we have this tendency to to just want to dive right in to try something and that can feel a little bit intimidating for your partner, especially if it's not something that they're super familiar with or really mm -hmm. like know whether or not they're open to trying it out. So we talk about how to break it down like into little baby steps so that it feels a lot more just simple and manageable rather than you're going all in on it. <laughs> That makes sense because I think if you know if you just try to go all in on something, you're setting yourself up for failure like fairly quickly. And I think it's important just to start slow. And so, like the last question I have is, you know, we've talked about so much as far as like sex life, as far as communication, as far as emotional connection. And like if you had like 30 seconds with somebody who's listening to this and you could just give them 30 seconds of advice on how to make the most of their relationship and their sex life, what would each of you say to them? I could do it in five seconds. Go ahead. Start talking about sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, just just do it. It can always get better. It's not all on you to to know how to do everything and just be able to do it flawlessly, you know, without ever talking about it, without ever thinking about it. It's something, you know, it's a muscle that you can work on and you can build together. Yeah, but I mean, our story, you know, is really a testament to how powerful talking about sex has mm -hmm. been. And it's just something that we're so passionate about and really yeah. truly think that every couple can benefit from it. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that and just keeping it simple. And I love how you guys kind of did that in the book. Like you just kept it like super simple. You went like super deep on just a few subjects, right? And just gave so much, so many like action steps that people can take to improve their relationships and their sex life. Well, I wanted to thank you both for coming on. I really enjoyed speaking with both of you. If people want to listen to your podcast, if they want to buy the book, if they want to follow you on social media, where's the best place to do that? So they can check out the book at sextalksbook.com. We have all links to purchase it there, all kinds of information about it. And then we are on Instagram at Vanessa and Xander. So we have a ton of content there. We show up in stories every day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we'd love to connect with any of your listeners there. Yeah. And finally, you can check out our podcast, the Pillow Talks podcast. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that we said about communication. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as emotional connection, desire, sex life, flirting, a relationship being on autopilot, whatever the takeaway was, make sure to tag Vanessa and Xander, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.